0: The intellect. Hi, everybody. Today I'm here to talk to you guys about nuclear weapons and space travel. While these two topics may at first seem completely unrelated, hopefully through my talk I'll be able to elucidate the bridge between them. So let's first talk about nuclear weapons. So I want to start off with a little story. Uh, imagine yourself on a fine January morning in 1995. Uh, you're in Olingorsk at an early warning radar site, and you happen to see something funny on your radar. What you see is a dot, and then you see three dots. And what you think of at first is, oh, look, is this is a nuclear trident missile that's splitting up into its three parts. And you know what? It's flying nearby Russia, so you should probably inform Boris Yeltsin. So that's what you do and Boris Yeltsin freaks out, and for the first time in human history, the nuclear briefcase is activated. We basically have 10 minutes before the world is going to meet total nuclear annihilation. Two minutes are left in the countdown, and finally, somebody communicates to Boris that this isn't a nuclear Trident missile, but in fact, it is just an observatory satellite set out by the Norwegians. They wanted to study the Auroras. They weren't trying to blow up Moscow. This really elucidates the first reason why nuclear weapons are bad. It's because miscalculation. All it takes is one slip-up, and the world can literally blow up. second reason my nuclear weapons are bad is because of this number, 6 kilograms. This may not mean much to you or me, but to a terrorist, this is the amount of plutonium that they would need in order to build a dirty bomb. Once again, all you have to do is set off a dirty bomb in a highly populated city, it would cause mass chaos, confusion, many lives would be lost, and there would be a global pandemic. So just to summarize the, ba- the reasons why nuclear weapons are bad, uh, we have miscalculation, terrorism, accidents. Now, proponents of deterrence theory may say that nu- uh, nuclear b- uh, peace has been insured by nuclear weapons for the last 65 years. Uh, but in response, I would say that all it would take is one act of miscalculation, one act of terrorism, or one accident in order to make this whole nuclear peace ins- essentially disintegrate. So, I think this Walt-Sagan debate is kind of boring, and it's not we shouldn't really be worried about whether or not nuclear weapons are good or are they bad, but rather we should be talking about how nuclear weapons should shape public policy. That's really what's important. And in order to do that, we need to start thinking a little bit outside the box. So no one really talks about how we get rid of nuclear weapons, and I think this is actually kind of an important issue. Uh, there's been several proposed ways to get rid of nuclear weapons, and they've all been, to this point, utter failures. We've had geological disposal programs at places like yucca mountain where we basically put barrels of uranium the problem is because of seismic activity the uranium barrels can spill and leak into the water table causing massive environmental damage but also there are nearby native american reservations so there's also a human cost that we're not even looking at Uh, we've tried uh, the russians have tried underwater disposal programs by just dumping canisters of uranium into the arctic ocean that's also not a good idea because of environmental harm obviously Uh, The Russians have also tried blowing up nuclear weapons in order to stop things like oil spills. Probably not a good idea because of radioactive waste. Uh, So now we get to the fourth one, pit stuffing. This is actually kind of a good idea. Uh, And what the idea is, is that we put steel wire into the nuclear warhead. And what this does is it prevents the nuclear weapon from uh, collapsing and reaching a critical point before it explodes. Uh, It's really easy to do, it's really cheap, and we can also verify this by using satellites. The only problem is that it's not foolproof, it's not completely perfect, because if a terrorist still wants to get that nuclear material, all they have to do is cut open the warhead and then they'll find it. So it might cause them to go a little bit out of their way, but it's still not a perfect solution. Finally, we get to nuclear power. And nuclear power is the first out of these five uh, ways that we've tried to dismantle nuclear weapons, where we've actually been able to use nuclear weapons productively. Uh, the U.S. and the Russians have signed a series of disarmament treaties to get rid of 80% of their stockpiles by converting nuclear weapons into nuclear energy. And uh, through the megawatts to, megatons pro- uh, megawat- megatons to megawatts uh, project, we've been able to get rid of these weapons and we've also been able to, you know, make a lot of money and a lot of, uh, get, gain a lot of electricity. So it's a productive use of nuclear weapons. The only problem is when we try to convert uh, the highly enriched uranium Uh, into uh, a low enriched state, the problem is it's more likely to be accessible by terrorists. So, we are still left with the problem. Question number one, how do we get rid of nuclear weapons? Now, let's take a slight diversion and talk about space. Sorry to burst your bubble, but our little blue bubble is about to burst. Uh, It may not burst soon, but there are all sorts of reasons why it will definitely burst. Nuclear war, bioterrorism, if smallpox were to be released into the population, it would take six months to spread worldwide, and then it would decimate entire populations because we don't have immunity anymore. Global warming, some climatologists say that we have maybe hundred months' time before the Earth reaches its ecological tipping point. Cosmic radiation, you know, in 2013 there's going to be huge solar flares that are not only going to disrupt the electrical grids that we have in terms of satellites and things like that, but it's also going to cause massive UV radiation to be spread throughout the biosphere, and that will definitely hurt plant life and other biodiversity. Finally, we have asteroids. Asteroids are really cool. Uh, we know in 2036, we will have a close encounter with an asteroid known as Apopsis. And if Apopsis were to hit our tiny blue bubble, it would hit with about 60,000 times the force of the Hiroshima bomb, and we probably would all go extinct. Uh, and if you don't think that asteroids are relevant, then consider this. Asteroids have caused six mass extinctions in the past, and if you really don't think it, like they'll happen soon, just look back 100 years to 1908. We had the Tunguska event, in which a 20-meter, 20, 20 to 30-meter asteroid basically blew up 2,000 square miles of Siberian forest. Sure, it was in a deserted area, but imagine that ish- uh, asteroid now hitting a major city in the world. Once again, we'll have the same effect: we will have mass chaos, mass confusion, and a lot of lives will be lost. So we have supervolcanoes, overpopulation—you get the point. The question that we now, the second question that we now face, is how will we survive if the Earth is eventually going to blow up? So once again I ask you to think outside the box, and this time the blue and the black actually mean something. So here's my innovative idea for the day. We know that we have to get off Earth, and we know that we have to basically use nuclear weapons productively. The way that we can combine these two problems is through nuclear spacecraft propulsion. So, first, why do we have to get off Earth? Well, think of it as an analogy. You know, planes don't usually crash. Planes are usually safe, and lightning, thunder, whatever happens, planes usually reach their destination. That doesn't mean that people uh, who are designing airplanes aren't concerned with aviation safety. Similarly, just imagine that the entire human population is on that flight. We need to have an exit strategy and we have to realize that the plane may eventually go down. And we can't always stay on Earth or inward looking, as Stephen Hawking would say. We eventually will have to expand out into space. And the way that we can get to space is using nuclear energy. The problem right now is that conventional chemical energy is just too inefficient. It costs tens of thousands of dollars just to send per pound as we send it into space. Moreover, it would take us 12,000 years just to make it to the nearest star system. If you look at nuclear propulsion in uh, comparative to chemical propulsion, you'll see a vast difference. Nuclear spacecraft propulsion can get us to the nearest star in maybe 100 years. We know it's at least 30 times more efficient according to the theoretical uh, physics that's involved with nuclear propulsion. Nuclear propulsion can generate a paradigm shift in our space transportation capabilities and make space travel, actually for the first time, achievable. So we need to have an exit strategy, and here's how we're going to get there. We need to first invest heavily in nuclear spacecraft research. We've been doing lots of research since the 1960s. We started with Project Orion, then we did Project Daedalus, Project Longshot, Project Prometheus. The problem is that we've always been cutting funding. We haven't been giving NASA enough funding. We've never been actually implementing the technologies that we've already been studying. So we need to start doing that. We already have tons of data to, to work off, and we have to really start putting these reactors into the field. The second step is to convert nuclear weapons to fuel. And here's the critical link nuclear weapons amount to about 12 times the amount of uranium that we can mine in a year globally. We have about 2,000 tons of uranium just sitting around in military stockpiles that we can actually use for nuclear energy. We already convert uh, nuclear weapons right now uh, in conventional power plants. Now it's just a matter of putting those reactors into space and using them to fuel rocket ships. And once we can do that, we'll have a working exit strategy. So now you must be wondering, where are we going to go? How are we going to get there? How much is it going to cost? Well, first of all, don't worry about the cost, because once we go into space, there's all sorts of uh, reasons why uh, the revenue stream will be flowing. We have things like mining asteroids, we can get lots of minerals, space tourism, solar-powered satellites to generate electricity. There's plenty of uh, areas for investment once we go into space. And then the second question you're asking is, where are we going to go? Well, there's lots of uh, candidate places for us to go, the moon, Mars, asteroids. Uh, we can explore Jupiter's moons, Saturn's moons. Some of them have water and ice. Uh, Saturn's moon has, has hydrocarbons. We can potentially terraform some of these planets if we start, uh, uh, start now and if we use the right technologies. Uh, we can go just off into deep space, like in the movie Wall-E, in our little eco-bubble. Uh, and all we have to do is create an artificial environment and we can sustain ourselves for a long time in space. And you may be thinking, well, how are we going to make this? We really don't have any idea how to make an eco-bubble. Well, we know how to make nuclear submarines, and we know that nuclear submarines have to stay underwater for six months at a time. We can use them as analogs and build upon them to actually make some sort of artificial environment as we venture off into space. And the, really, the real good benefit of having nuclear electric propulsion is that we'll have a, a large and a, a abundant energy source to keep us going. So... I'm running out of time in my presentation, and we're running out of time on Earth. The uh, Bulletin of Atomic Scientists say that we are at 1154 right now on the doomsday clock. And basically, this means that this is an urgent issue. We are going to die soon, so we should all be interested in this. Uh, Ultimately, you may be thinking that there are more timely issues like, you know, worrying about the job market or, I don't know, alternative energy or the healthcare bill. Sure, those are, those are all important, but all I'm trying to say is just because asteroids are outside our experiential reality, doesn't mean that they don't exist. And the very fact is, all it takes is one asteroid or one big catastrophe to basically wipe off all of our species. And if, if that happens, then it's game over. So ultimately, it's time for our generation to act, our, it's time for our generation to do something about it. So ultimately, here's why you should care. We're talking about the survival of life. Unless we harness nuclear spacecraft propulsion technologies, we will all die, and that's kind of a bad thing. But moreover, as we expand into space, we'll actually be able to better the human enterprise itself, because in going into space, there's going to be, it'll require massive amounts of cooperation, and it will build human unity to levels where it has never been before. The second reason why you should care is because we're talking about a cosmic purpose. Sure things on Earth are fine, but we really need to push past our terrestrial concerns. There's so much out there that we have yet to explore. We have yet to even look at the, uh, at the universe's eternal existence or its eternal beauty. There's, we have to embark on this epistemological journey and basically seek out what's out there in, the, in, the, in, the sp- in space. So it's time for our generation to do something transformative. It's time for our generation to push onto the final frontier. That's the only way we can save our world. So nuclear spacecraft propulsion is the way to get there. Thank you.